Hello again and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. And today we're focusing on the Philippines. And the Filipino community is the eighth largest migrant group in Tasmania and is in fact one, if not the fastest growing migrant community in the state. And today I'm talking with Donna, who arrived in Tasmania about 15 years ago and has already told me a very interesting story about how she used to get to school back in her village in the Philippines. Let's hear some more about Donna's experience, both of growing up in the Philippines and also of moving to Tasmania. Why did she come here? Let's find out. So first of all, thank you, Donna, for agreeing to talk to me and 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast. So first question, could you tell me a bit about where you grew up? What was it like? What, where was it and what was it like to grow up there. I grew up in the Philippines and that's up north of the country. It's about um, 14 to 16 hour drive from Manila where the capital city of the Philippines and it's called Cagayan Valley and Cagayan Valley is the hottest city in the Philippines. It's because of the two mountains that actually in between this this valley. Yeah so I grew up there until the age of 28 and that's when I moved to Tasmania. So growing up there, what kind of environment was it? Could you give us a little um, bit of an idea? Yeah, so it is a village. So everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows every gossip that everyone in that has everyone in town. It's a very peaceful environment, really. And it's um, we kind of all everyone is related and everyone knows each other. So my dad was a municipal secretary for 25 years in that city so and my mom um, is a teacher so she's now retired she used to be my teacher in grade two like my mom I have one brother and uh, three or two sisters so we're all four in the family mm-hmm. yeah so it was from what you say it was a fairly small village yeah it's a small village and for us to to get education we have to walk um about 45 minutes and on our tongs we have to cross the river actually every day for six years from grade one to grade six and that's how we did every day crossing the the river and that's actually i i think one of the reasons why i had to study harder because i didn't want to i love the place but the opportunity for growth in in that uh, place is very limited so I remember my dad while working as a municipal secretary he was farming as well so every um, school break during summertime in the middle of the day it's 50 degrees we were mandated to go and till the land as well help him out so we go and plant rice or harvest rice during harvest season and it was so hard it's um it was a challenge for me and my dad said if you don't study hard you don't get an education this is what you will end up with so that was the actually that was the reason why I studied harder and get an education because I didn't want to be a farmer <laughs> but just to get back to you you yeah. said crossing the river can yeah. you just explain that a little bit yeah so crossing the river our village is located on the other side of the river and my mom at that time was teaching on the other side of the river 
so she had to take us with her to the school every day so yeah so we had to go to cross the river every day and for six years and I remember there were times that the river was high because of this typhoon and we we deal like more than 25 typhoons every year and we had to deal with that while going to school so of our bags and our belongings crossing the river and sometimes it goes up to the neck so we had to remove our clothes and so we put our um, belongings and more bags on, on our, over our heads and we had to cross that that river so the challenge actually was yeah was there yeah and we survived wow. yeah <laughs> you have to be pretty committed it to was to yes definitely that's the term that's the word I was looking for it's it's a commitment and dedication to to get that um, education and finished it yeah so your parents obviously to push the education is something important <laughs> It's very important. Education in the family is, is really important for us because for my family, they instilled in our minds that education is the key to success. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. So what was it like then at uh, school in the Philippines? Uh, do you have very big classes there? I mean, how, how, does, how does it sort of work? I remember at that time we were about probably 40 in a class. I remember my dad had to make our own chairs because we had to bring our own chairs and desk at the time because we don't have, it's it's a very poor village. So we have to help the school to furnish our facilities. Access to water is very lim- was very limited as well. And every day I do remember when we get to our school, we had to go, the first thing that we had to do before we start our classes we have to go and carry water for us to use and to water the plants as well we do that again in the afternoon yeah so what what sort of things were emphasized at school in the philippines a bit of everything english is very important from grade one up to college we it's it's important that we have that unit every uh, every term to study so it's, it's a mandatory unit that we have to study and that's the reason why philippines is our, our second language is english and everyone can speak english but uh, in terms of the um, way that you're taught there is it very much like um, you just listen to the teacher and yeah. take that yep yep and and, and memory mm. and sort of having to rem- rem- remember knowledge yep yeah, that's how we were we were taught. It's like an authoritarian, and that's how I've been brought up as well in the family. We could not make a decision for ourselves. Our parents make the decision, and even now in the Philippines. So I remember when I was growing up, uh, we were asked, what's your ambition when you want to grow up? And I said I wanted to be a, a nurse or a doctor. But then my mom being a teacher, my mom said, okay. With that, after after finishing high school, she just enrolled me into education, so I became a teacher instead, okay. and that was it. Is it the case that the, ex- the extended family is quite important in your yeah. life? Yeah. So in our culture, we thrive collectively, and yeah, that's how we lived. It's um, aunties and uncles; they're always there. It's a very that's how we gather our strengths. Really, everyone in the family. So when we have problems or any issues that would come along the way, they're always there for us, and that's how we were brought up. And I, I think that's the difference that I can see in Australia: that Australians thrive individually. They wanted their space. So, for example, I, I say that it's because when my dad died at the age of fifty 
25 and this was 11 years ago now. So when he died and I can see the difference, I was here already in Australia and I see the, uh, the difference when someone's family passed away. Our family will just rally around you. They will definitely want to um, leave you. They won't even let you do anything. They won't let you move a muscle or anything. But in Australia, when someone um, dies, they just leave you alone. Um, it's just like they, they wanted to, not leaving you alone, but uh, they wanted to, how shall I say it? Um, so in, in the Philippines, they, they actually stay with you, stay with you at, and literally stay with you at home until even the 40th day of after burial. burial. So that's how supportive um, everyone is. So, do do is it traditional in the Philippines, like it it is some extent here, that you don't just have the funeral, you have something like a wake where everybody has a chance to sort of. Yeah, my dad had to wake at home for about fifteen days, and like oh, in wow. here, you, you had to be in a funeral homes. One afternoon. Yeah, one afternoon. So in there, because they had to wait for us, because I was here already. And at that time, I lost my passport as well, so I couldn't travel straight away. So I had to go through Canberra to the Philippine Embassy, and then go to Sydney, and then back to, to Manila. And it took me like about six days to be able to get that travel. That's one of the many ways how we show that we thrive collectively and even celebrating Christmas it's a more exciting one compared to you know losing a family Christmas is the one that I do really miss um, celebrating in the Philippines I do remember when I first arrived here when in 2005 my first Christmas I cried see I was expecting like you know in the movies kind of thing but it's totally different we just had lunch with with the new family here and that was it we just exchange gift that was it so in the philippines first of september that's the christmas oh, yeah. season already so it's the longest season of the year so september october november december even january so five months of christmas time in the philippines so that's amazing so you get to hear you know christmas songs on the first uh, september you'll get to see christmas lights and christmas decorations everywhere in in the philippines and in the lead up to christmas day lots of caroling so a lot of kids come on your front door and sing Merry Christmas or even in the, in the middle of the night or early morning, they will come and serenade you singing Christmas songs. It's just, it's, it's amazing. By the sounds of it and also from my impressions generally about Philippines, Filipino cultures, it's a very... It's a very social culture, is that right? The, the, so it's sort of social interaction and relations very much valued. Absolutely. Our entertainment, our one way of socializing is eating and karaoke, so everyone can sing. Yeah, so in the Philippines, like I think every household has a karaoke. Singing and eating um, is the um, best way to entertain people. Uh, but in terms of, you know, you said it's a uh, very c collective culture and extended families important in, and, and you mentioned that your your mother had a big impact on your indeed um, decision making I yes. guess yeah what what other kind of decisions do um, in your life that might family members sort of influence or intervene in 
Apart from that, I, I think my religion, my father's side, they are heavily involved in the Baptist church. So my dad has got two sisters and seven brothers, and his seven brothers are all ministers. Um, and my aunties are married to ministers as well. So except my dad, he's the only one that ended up working in uh, yeah in the government or in the municipality. So all of them were or are still in the ministry and I remember when I graduated high school we had to move away from my parents because there's no high school where we grew up so it's about two and a half hour drive and um, so my dad decided us to live with our grandmother my grandmother's place so that's in Tugigaro city so every month that's the only time that we get to go back home in the village sometimes we don't even go there it's like twice twice or three times a year we have to go but my dad normally came and visited us so we get to we learn to become independent at the age of 12 so my dad built our house next to my grandma so we're in a compound and we learn to look after ourselves with my my eldest sister and my brother yeah so we we were able to look after ourselves at a very young age and became independent so I, I think that's one thing that we were taught as well but with a strict um, guidance of our grandmother so growing up with my grandmother as well and around that we've got um, relatives in that compound as well so we cannot just make a decision for ourselves every Wednesday we have to attend church for the prayer meeting Friday we have to be in church for the choir practice Saturday again for teaching kids in the street in the afternoon and then at night time of Saturday we have to practice choir again and on Sunday we have to be in church nearly the whole day from nine o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock at night so that's pretty much how we have been brought up when I was in when we were in high school so and that was mandatory so if I missed one church attendance like my grandma would say like where what happened where were you so I get crucified if you don't um yeah so we were not allowed to go to the movies we're not allowed to go to pubs or cinemas because they are you know not uh, that's what they call devil's place <laughs> not allowed to drink alcohol yeah so that's what yeah not allowed to have boyfriends at the time as well so school and church um were the the only yeah two things we were need to be yeah doing yeah <laughs> Oh, well, I guess it would make you focus on your focus on your schooling. Yeah, and I was expected to marry a pastor as well. So I remember when I finished my college, I was yeah they were trying to set me up with a minister, and they were also expecting me to go to Bible school because all of my cousins, all of my cousins, they are all in the Bible school, and um, they're all married with pastors or Bible women. Yeah, because it's fundamental Christian in yeah in the family. So it's it's just I think they they will call me prodigal daughter <laughs> or prod i think they, they call us prodigal family because my dad's family is the only one that didn't follow the ministry obviously some members of your family sort of graduate and you would get married but what were your own sort of plans at that stage 
after graduation. So I became a teacher. I taught for seven years, actually. And I wasn't really expecting that I could move to Tasmania. But then I was uh, in 2005. So, but my plan originally was to go to America because that's where my relatives are. So I never, I never planned to come to, this, to Australia, let alone Tasmania. But it happened anyway. But that was everyone's dream in the village. So to go overseas, to go abroad. And abroad, what they're saying is, is America is a dream place. So I'm, I'm one of those women actually that found love online at that time because there's no, there's, well, I, I, yeah, my ex-husband now, um, we found each other online and there's like 2005. So he came and visited me in the Philippines and then after one and a half years, we got married and yeah, started a new life here in, in Tasmania, which my father's side actually opposed and up to now, I, yeah, they're still, because they want wanted me to marry a pastor <laughs> and then I oh. married a Tasmanian and he's not even a, a Baptist so yeah. What did you know about Tasmania, if anything, before you came? Zero. I, I thought at that time for Tasmania, I thought people that live in Tasmania are black. Because it, oh, really? it rhymes with Tas Tanzania, so I thought it's Africa. And it wasn't hard for me to adjust. I would say it's because to where I lived, it's um, it's a small place, it, and it's like Tasmania as well. Lots of space, land, land, lots of land, land space, farms, and yeah, it, it's kind of like lots of greens that you can see, and that's it's a rural place, so it wasn't difficult for me to adjust. But, you know, bushwalking, I came to love. So I have bushwalked a lot of places in, in Tasmania that I have never done in, in the Philippines. So that's one thing that I discovered myself that I love nature and camping as well. Never yeah, experienced camping much in, in the Philippines. But yeah, here in Tassie, it's, it's you know, nature is, is the best thing that Tasmania could give you, not, not shopping <laughs> it's even bigger than shopping malls. <laughs> yeah. Apart from maybe missing a family, what else would you miss about the Philippines when you're here? It's the food. And the first thing that comes to my mind is our mango in the Philippines. It's the sweetest mango in the world. And we have a lot of, I've tasted a lot of mangoes in Tasmania and nothing came close to, to the taste in the, the mango in the Philippines. And mango is my favorite food. And my dad, back in the Philippines, yeah, at home, he planted a lot of different types of mangoes because of the yeah trees in there he wasn't a big fan of you know flowering pots or plants like he wanted more of those fruit bearing trees because like what are you going to do with those like uh, you won't be able to have anything on it like so he, pre he preferred you know planting fruit bearing trees instead in terms of getting to know local people what's your experience been like has it been easy or difficult and do you have any advice on ways to get to know locals if you're a newcomer i 
found Tasmanians are very friendly and very welcoming and it's very easy to to get along well with them and um, yeah I feel I'm fitting in it I feel welcome when I, I felt welcome when I first arrived here never experienced racism as other people have had and I'm, I'm very thankful for that yeah so my advice for people who are planning to come over here it's yeah you're welcome to 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 uh, join us and it's I actually volunteered to be one of the welcome dinner project I don't know if you heard about that program before and that's welcoming newly arrived migrants it's a great program for newly arrived people to welcome them here and make them feel yeah settled and yeah settle easily here did I answer and what does that involve it has involved about eating food so I'm right up my alley for that yep. because I love food and I love sharing food. So it's been a while that I haven't been involved, but the experience that I had in, in getting to know other culture, it's because of the pandemic, we can't do that now uh, about sharing food. But when it's going to open, I'm, I'm going to be volunteering again. I'm, one of, I'm a trained facilitator for that Welcome Dinner project and... Um, bringing a food a dish from your country and share that with other people and you talk about it and and then at the end of the the dinner you share a little bit of your experience why you came to Tasmania and what has your experience been and yeah and at the end of the day um, you, you get to meet new people I have seen some people who have made long time long time long-term friends out of that project I have a, a charity called Football Equipment Aid Tasmania, and this stems from the, what do you call this, the support that I have been doing in the Philippines for a long time now, for 15 years. So back in the Philippines when I was a teacher, I have a friend who is a football coach, and since I moved to Tasmania, I have been supporting that football team every year. So we have a tournament, and which I'm, I'm supporting, and so... This was in 2016 when I first went back to the Philippines and witnessed the tournament itself. And I went there and had a chat with the kids. And then what happened was that I saw some of the kids that were sitting, um, just were just sitting, they were just watching while others were playing football. And then I approached them and say, and I asked them why they were sitting there and not joining those kids playing. And they said, we are just waiting for them to finish so we could borrow the shoes, the oh, yeah, the football yeah. shoes and the equipment that I have. And that broke my heart. And so I said my, to myself at that time, I could do something to help these kids. And I know that I can see it in their eyes that they're passionate about playing football. But it's just limiting them because of the very limited resources that I have and they couldn't afford. Yeah. So I came back to Tasmania with an intention of I am going to collect football equipment so used football so I have approached football teams in Tasmania and since then I have collected more than a thousand jerseys and about 500 football shoes and I have been sending them in the Philippines so every year uh, we continued on with the tournament we call it Tasmania Cup 
So um, so in 2017, went back home and, you know, um, hosted an, a tournament and it became bigger. That tournament, we had about 15 teams and that's about, I think we had about 400, 400 kids who participated in that tournament and it was an amazing experience and looking at those kids developing their their skills and not just sporting skills but also life skills and it's quite fulfilling actually and then in 2018 again I went back and it has doubled so we had 35 teams who competed against and it just expanded to different regions and we had about 700 kids or 700 players who have been in in that team so that's my passion it hasn't been I have not been active in last year and this year it's because of my involvement with the Filipino community here but um, I'm finishing at the end of the year and I'm, I'm going to continue I've got if you see my garage at the moment it's full of donated clothes donated uniforms of which it's waiting to be sent out and I am planning to have a fundraiser because it costs a lot with just a box, which a one meter by one meter size of a box, it would cost me $150 to send to, to the Philippines. And yeah, so I would be asking for some support from, from the members of the community to help me around with that, to help more kids, you know, get involved with, with sport. Mm-hmm.